0: Before I read the scripture, I, I want to um, basically say that I think in, in many regards, this is my this is my favorite part of a worship service. It's not preaching. It's being a conduit, as Aaron and the priest were in the Old Testament, standing in place of God himself, allowing God through the minister, through the priest, to bestow upon God's people a powerful message of blessing and favor and acceptance. Regardless of what you hear in the sermon, some sermons are challenging. Some sermons will lead you to conviction, perhaps, of of a sin or or something that is going on in your life. And, And so the message of the sermon may not be that uplifting, perhaps. It may be challenging in some ways. The benediction should always be a message of God's favor and blessing upon you. You may have noticed that it's my habit When when I'm here and I say the benediction, it's always from number six. I came to the conviction many, many years ago that every time I said the benediction, if it was up to me to choose what to say, and it's not always up to me, depending on the context. Sometimes it's already written out, and we just go with what's in the bulletin. It's my conviction that I'm going to do number six, because I think it is the most powerful representation of God giving a, a message to his ministers, his priests, for God's people of God's pleasure with you and his blessing upon you. And so I always love this passage and love saying the benediction and love preaching it now, Lord willing, to give you some insight into that. Thank you for the water again. Um, so you have written for you in the uh, bulletin, the passage of scripture. Let's go ahead and stand. Hear now the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus Shall you bless the people of Israel? You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name God's name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for loving us, for calling us to be your people. And for all of us who are your people, there is a special message here of your blessing and goodness and pleasure with us. Lord, we are thankful. Give us ears to hear. And as Ed earlier prayed, Holy Spirit, be present among us to speak to our minds and to stir our hearts to worship you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It was Ed, right? I always call Ed Ron and Ron Ed. and uh, It's the hairstyle that, th- that throws me. It's so good to be with you folks. And Hazel apologizes for not coming. She really wrestled with that. But we are leaving town tomorrow for a, at least two weeks. And um, and we're trying to sell the house and stage the house. And, all this. and so she still had a few things that she felt like she needed to do uh, instead of being here. But her heart's here with you folks. Uh, Robert Rayburn, one of the... Um, the, the leaders of the PCA a long time ago from uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church, Covenant Presbyterian Church, Covenant Seminary, too many covenants, not really. I mean, there's one main covenant, but uh, and it's always good to remember that, said that no worshiper should ever be sent forth. And that's what the benediction is. It's basically the end of the service, sending you folks out through those doors into the world in which you live, the world that surrounds us. No worshiper should ever be sent forth to serve in their own strength. Therefore, the last thing you hear, Lord willing, is some kind of benediction, a good word, that will remind you of the power and the presence and the strength of God upon you as you go forth. And so some Passages of Scripture, and there are a lot of New Testament passages and all that. That there are many that can be used to do that, to encourage you. But that's the purpose of a benediction. Many of you may may think, well, it's just you got to figure out some way to end the thing. You got to you got to figure out some way to end the service, and you know, live long and prosper. You know that that doesn't necessarily cut it. But uh, uh, but you know, see you next time. You know, something like you know, it's just just. Uh, Y'all be safe, you know, what was it, Hill Street Blues? Y'all be safe out there, you know, that type of thing. Uh, you know, some way of ending and sending forth, using God's word to speak his will to you is the last thing you hear. So even if the you, you couldn't quite get on board with the music, perhaps, maybe you were just kind of dealing with kids sitting next to you or your husband or your wife or thinking about... That's what's, what are we smelling here today? You know, I can't wait to get downstairs. You know, whatever it is that, that maybe distracted you away from uh, the responsive reading or praying together or the confession or whatever it might be, the singing of the hymns, even the even the sermon, though I know you are fastidious in your focus upon every word that comes from this pulpit. It's not possible. I mean, you know, your mind's going to wander here and there. But I invite you and encourage you, listen well to the benediction. Even if if you've missed the whole service, Lord willing, that hasn't, that doesn't happen and isn't going to happen. But if for some reason you do, because of wrestling with whatever's going on, hear the benediction. It is God sending you forth in his power with his presence into the world around us. So each line of this, you know, it's it's an instruction from Moses, you know, that the, the one who saw God face to face, the recipient of the Ten Commandments, the one who is given the privilege of hiding himself in the cleft of the rock so that he could see the glory of God, the backside of the glory of God, and whose countenance of his own glowed so brightly the people of Israel. could not stand to look at him, so he had to hide his face. Moses is given this further instruction from God himself to give to the priest, Aaron and his sons were the priest of the people of God as they left Egypt and wandered across the the wilderness there to the promised land and that the the Aaronic Aaron, Aaronic line of of, uh, priest was then established going forward. This particular message. So we see if you look at verse 24 The pattern begins. It's, there's always the reminder of who, who is this from? It's from the Lord. That, that name, that word in the Hebrew is Yahweh, Jehovah. I am who I am. The, the, the great I am. Remember in, in the New Testament, Jesus really stirs up the, the Pharisees when he says, uh, Before Abraham was, I am. He's taking upon himself the name of Jehovah, the name of Yahweh, the great I Am, the one who always is, the eternally existent one. So the great I Am, Yahweh, and and you may already know this, but perhaps not everyone does, but in your Bibles when the word Lord is all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps, that stands in place of the name of Yahweh. And it really comes from the, a little bit of a rabbit trail, comes comes from the tradition of the, uh, of the Hebrews not to take the name of the Lord their God in vain. And so they, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, Lord. So that's how that's translated. So that's the, the, the English Bible continues that, 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 uh, that practice. Uh, that that began back in the Old Testament days. So it's actually written out, Yahweh, but Hebrew readers would never say that name. They would always say Adonai when they got to that word. So the great Adonai, the great Lord, the one who is I Am, the Eternal One, God Himself, the Creator God, the ever-existing God, says... To Moses, to the priest, to say to the people, this is a message directly for the people, his people. And each line has two verbs bless, keep, make his face shine and be gracious, lift up his countenance and give you peace. The second verb, the second phrase, always expands on the first one. So it's a simple pattern. Who's the speaker? Who's the subject? It is Yahweh. What's he saying to you? Basically three things. Each one repeated twice. And you may know that in the Hebrew, when something is repeated three times, that is the ultimate expression of emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, Isaiah. That is the ultimate expression of holiness. You can't emphasize it, stress it any more than saying it three times. And so God here is saying to us, in a threefold manner, his blessing. They're similar. Blessing keep. Lift up his, make his face shine upon you and be gracious. Lift up his countenance and give you peace. They're all, in, in essence, tied to the same thought but just expanding upon it a little bit each time. So it's a threefold message of blessing from God through the priest to his people. In other words, the ultimate expression of God's blessing and favor upon you. He can't emphasize it anymore. He's saying, I am the Lord. He could have said, The Creator God, He could have said God, uh, you know El Shaddai, uh, Jehovah Jireh. Jireh. Uh, He could have said any of the other names that have been attributed to Him, but He uses the name. It's the name of God. When Moses, at the burning bush, says, "Who shall I say is sending me? What is your name that I go back and communicate to Pharaoh and the Egyptians?" Under whose authority am I going to go back and do this deed of leading your people out of bondage? And God said, I am. That's the name. So let's look at the phrases. The first one, verse 24. That God would bless, the Lord will bless you and keep you. Now, I find emphasis in the English translation that the word you is always repeated. In the Hebrew, the specific word for you is not there because in the form of the verb, it's, a, it's attached as a suffix. Pref- yeah, suffix. <laughs> Prefix, suffix. Yeah. Any English teachers here? Yeah. Anyway, uh, At the end of the word... Uh, to to the verb, so so it's not a it's not a standalone word, but each verb has that suffix attached that it has a specific target. It's not a it's not a broad statement. It's not that we have added the word you. If you go look at a, a, a an interlinear translation, you know where you got the English and the Hebrew under it. You might not be able to see the word you in the English or in the Hebrew because it's attached to the verb. So each verb says this. So each verb is directly for you. You can take this message personally. You can take it as God standing before you. I like to raise my hands out like this. I don't know if you noticed that. You know, uh, and a lot of times people are singing hymns, they do this, kind of a receiving and, and all, and, and, and that's okay. But for a minister, I think it's better like I am pronouncing out to you the message that God wants you to hear. And so this is a blessing, not from me, and I raise my hands because it's not from me, it's from God. The Lord bless you and keep you. So when he talks about blessing, he's talking about his his favor, his uh, goodness, his acceptance. Uh, blessing, you know, is like what we understand a blessing. We we often say, "Lord bless them." Uh, we bless this food. Uh, in other words, we're asking God to bless the food for its goodness and intended purpose. But when we say, you know, I, and I was guilty of this—it's it's, not thing to be guilty of—I did it. That's, but it's something that I would do often in the hospital. You know, I'd hear someone say something about whatever's going on. I would say, "Well, we'll bless you." You know, that that we often will do that. And, you know, sometimes when you sneeze, people say that. That's that's got its own history. I won't go there and all that, but. But, but you know, if, if we're saying it in the sense of we want the goodness and the favor and the acceptance and the power and the presence of God Almighty to be with you as you go through, as you experience, as you struggle, as you face the difficulties, whatever it might be, that's that's a great word to say. You know, I think most people don't hear it well. Most people don't hear it as perhaps the way I would intend it, but that's okay. But I encourage you to hear it because it's a message for you as God's people to hear these things, that God does want to bless you and indeed is blessing you. Last night, Hazel and I as we were sitting in our house, which has been she she's been purging for about two months. We've got more stuff probably in the garage than we have in the house now uh, but but you're just sitting in the in the sparsely decorated living room. Um, Hazel remarked that. Earlier that day, she had gotten a message from a friend of hers, in a different state, whose daughter is wrestling again with a form of breast cancer that has gone to the lymph nodes. This person has had a child born with Down syndrome. This person's first husband died in a car accident. Yeah, uh, this person has struggled with emotional and thing and other issues throughout her life and, and you know sometimes we, we can we can learn from the struggles of others but this per- if you were to meet this person you would have no clue about any of that this person loves the Lord this person feels the power and the presence and the blessing of God even through the struggles of life and that was part of because I told Hazel what I was going to be preaching on and that was part of her response that we really are blessed i think if any of us who are who are followers of christ even through the struggles and the challenges of life and the the deep deep heartache disasters or traumas or things that come our way when we stop and reflect on how we have seen god either see us through those dark valleys Give us good things in addition to the difficult things, like a nice home, good friends, other believers, the word of God, the presence of God, whatever it might be. For for Hazel and I, it was each other. We kind of like each other. And that's a good thing. And, And to say... Despite or in spite of these things, we are blessed people. The ultimate blessing is going to be when we see God face to face. I'm going to talk about God's face here in a minute. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to tell you about it. When we think about what God has done for us that will last forever, in contrast to the temporary worldly earthly challenges as second corinthians reminds us of these are temporary challenges that come our way though they are they they hurt like there's no end to it and it is and you just can't bear it there will come a day when there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain, and there will be no more suffering. And that state and that condition, because of God's blessing us and calling us to be his children and adopting us, that we might be co-heirs with Christ, that status, that state of being where there's no more suffering is going to last forever That's a concept that really is hard to imagine. But that's the message of the gospel. That's why you're one of God's people, because you have heard that, received that, accepted that, and Jesus is now in your life. And you are covered by his blood, by his suffering. And you are as perfectly acceptable in God's eyes as Jesus is. That's a blessing. And so God says, tell them that I bless them and I'm going to keep them. There is nothing no one that can snatch us out of God's hands. His grip is not weak. His grip is sure and certain and secure, and we can count on it more than we can count on anything else. We often like to talk in terms of the world that death and taxes are the the constants in everybody's life. I've I've got news for you. That's not a true statement. Historically, it's not true the taxes part might be <laughs> the death part's not historically Enoch was no more Elijah was taken up Lazarus you know he he died twice but the first death didn't hold him because Jesus called him out of the out of the tomb And there will come a day when the people who are God's people who are alive on this earth will see Jesus in the clouds coming and they will be transformed. They will not die. So death is not eternal. It's not the constant that we will all experience. There will come a day when someone, it may not be our generation... It may not be the next generation. I have no idea what God's timing is. As far as I believe, it's going to happen this afternoon. Lord, may it be so. There will come a day when there will be people who will not see death. God is keeping us. Either for that day when we will see him face to face and know as we have been known. Or there will come that day when we will see the Lord descending and we will be going toward him for that eternal glorious place. Nothing, nothing can change that when you're in God's grip. So he's blessing you and he saved you and he gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you abundant earthly blessings along with the challenges and difficulties, and he's going to keep you. He could have stopped right there. I mean, that's powerful. But He goes on to expand upon that with the second one and the third one because that's the ultimate emphasis. He wants to take that basic thought, blessing and keeping you, and build upon it, and build upon it, so that you understand He can't emphasize any stronger that He wants to bless you and keep you. And so the second verse there, verse 25, The Lord make His face shine upon you. Oh, I forgot to read a verse that goes, anyway. You'd be surprised the chaos that goes on up here. In my, in my mind, anyway. Sometimes it's obvious, and sometimes it's not. But I will, I will carry on. You'll never know what it was I was going to say. Verse 25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Moses asked to see God's face. And God's response was, no man can see my face or else they will die. So he is able to see the backside of his glory. Now, that's challenging because we also know doctrinally, theologically, biblically, that that God... The Father has no form, per se. God the Son does. God the Son took upon Himself human form. The Spirit does not have any form. And so sometimes when we talk about expressions that relate to us, God having a hand or a face, um, you know those those challenges cuz those aren't necessarily unless you're talking about Jesus literal they're figurative but it's figurative for our sake god knows the creatures he's wanting to communicate to and therefore he communicates in language that means something to us It is not definitive about God. It is an expression that is enabling him to communicate to us some concept that he wants us to understand. And so he basically, pardon the phrase, dumbs down himself and his language to us so that we can comprehend it. Like I do when I talk to my two-year-old and four-year-old grandchildren, they understand me perfectly. That's, a, that's another grin. I don't understand them at all. But uh, <laughs> well, I understand the four-year-old. He he speaks well. The two-year-old still struggles. Um, but God is wanting to communicate to us here in this phrase: "Make His face." Shine upon you. He wants us to know that He is looking at us. It's as if, and please don't take this with any sense of reality, it's as if my face is God's face. And I'm looking at you. Eye to eye. Make his face shine. That word to me connotes the biggest smile you could possibly imagine. When I see my grandchildren, my face shines with joy and pleasure, and love, excitement. The Lord's face shine upon you. That's that's a literal image that God wants to communicate to us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he accepts us. (coughs) of course you know it would go down the wrong way (laughs) (coughs) because I'm excited (coughs) and God's excited (coughs) he's saying hey I'm with you If I knew all your names, I'd go through all the names. I'd say, Ed or Ron, whoever you are. My face shines upon you. And I love you. And I accept you. I have saved you. I'm blessing you. I'm going to keep you. Nothing's going to take you away from me. I am looking at you, and I know what you need and who you are, and even though I know who you are, I still love you. Go in my name. My name is on you. Just that that joyful expression of God turning his face on you. Where's little Hazel? There she is. Hazel, I can say this, I love you, and I accept you. That's one of the things my Hazel said. I won't get to sit with a little Hazel. And so you get the the picture here that God is wanting to communicate to us. So the Lord's face is going to shine upon us, and he's going to be gracious to you. It's by grace that we've been saved. It is His grace that keeps us going forward. It is the grace of God that sustains us. Not anything to do with us and our performance, our righteousness, our perfection whatsoever. Absolutely nothing to do with that. when He first loved us and called us to come to faith in Jesus, as He now loves us, not based upon any kind of good record that we might accumulate. You know, it's interesting. Most people who do evangelism door to door, kind of a cold call, you know, sometimes they use questions like, if you were to die tonight, do you believe that you would go to heaven? Some people, most people probably, would say yes. And then the, the follow up is, well, why? Why should God accept you into heaven? The basic question that everyone seems like, the vast majority of people would answer to that is, I've been good enough. Or I've tried to be good enough. It's not about being good. You can never be good enough. It's not about trying hard enough to be good. It's not about being sincere in your desire to be good. It has nothing with your goodness whatsoever because the fact is, you don't have any. Before you came to Christ, you have absolutely zero to contribute to this relationship. You are dead in your sins. But by the grace of God... He brought us, just like Ezekiel in the Old Testament, as Ezekiel preached to the dead bones, the valley of the dead bones there, and they came to life. That's a picture of me and you. We're dead, dry bones, lying out in the valley. And the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes upon us, and we come alive. So you have nothing to add, That's the same basis on which God looks at us with his shining face and says, Del, I know. I mean, our confession of sin in that private time, I confessed. I confessed some sin to the Lord. Perhaps you did too. In fact, every Sunday, I do that. Every day, I do that. Because there's nothing about me that is good enough to earn or keep God's favor. That's why he says, I bless you, I'm gracious to you, and I, God, am the one who keeps you. Because you can't even keep yourself. The third verse. Since I was here late, I get to go longer. Is that right? Is that how that works? I won't. And Bob, forgive me, I've already gone past the 20. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That word countenance You know the sad thing is I haven't followed my notes one bit. I mean essentially true uh I'm giving you all sorts of insight to preachers that please don't hold brad to them at all you know just, uh he's he's probably a much more due diligent guy than than I am, but um you know when he lifts up his countenance upon you, it's you know, it's a stronger way and a clearer way in the Hebrew language to talk about face. And In fact, the word face in verse uh, 25 and the verse countenance in verse 26 are actually, in the Hebrew, the same word. I don't know why the English changes it. Maybe because it just sounds more poetic. So basically, you know, what's, what's, there's the threefold emphasis is the strongest emphasis. What's the next strongest emphasis? Two. Truly, truly, I say to you. That's an emphasis about the trueness of what's being said. If you use the word same word twice in a row. So here we see the ultimate emphasis is on God's doing this for his people. But a secondary emphasis is his face his face is going to shine upon you and his face is going to turn upon you and give you peace. He's going to keep you. He's going to bless you. He's going to be gracious to you. His face is going to shine when he looks at you and he's going to give you peace. In many respects, that's the ultimate gift. Because it has, first of all, reference to our relationship with him. We were at enmity with God. We were striving against God. We were at war with God. We were figuratively dead before God. We, and, and the world reflects that, doesn't it? The world wants nothing to do with God. Talking about the culture that we live in. Nothing to do with God. And in fact, whatever they can do to suppress that. Whatever they can do to bring oppression in some places. Especially in far distant places around the world. But who knows what's coming here. The world wants nothing to do with God. But the Lord says to me and you, Hey. Hey. I'm at peace with you. And you're at peace with me. That striving, that war, that conflict is gone. I took it away. I have made out of two, one, he says about the Jews and the Gentiles. As they are one in him. Husband and wife, one. When you're in the Lord, when you get married, there's a oneness. The life I now live, I live in Christ. The Holy Spirit now lives in me. I am one with God. God is one with me. There is no conflict. There is no struggle. We are at peace And I know that one of the desires of our hearts as we struggle in this world is to have peace of mind, peace of heart, peace with one another. How many people are you in conflict with right now on some degree and some level? I know you can think of someone. So there's at least one that you you just don't like right now. Maybe you've never liked. But something's going on right now and you don't like it. And you're not at peace with that person. But God can bring us peace. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of oneness. He wants the body of Christ not to be irritated by other members of the body of Christ. He wants us to all know that we are one with Jesus as the head, one body, one faith, one baptism. That's God's goal. And he says, I bring that about. We still live in a fallen world. Things are still imperfect. But by and large, it's amazing that this number of people can be in the same place at the same time without throwing rocks or something. I mean, how many different opinions are in here? You know, there's the right opinion, which is mine. And then the rest of you guys are wrong. I'm tolerating you as best I can. But you get the point? Yeah. We need peace. And God says, by looking at us with that face that shines and says, you are so precious. You are... I just can't believe how much I love you. You know, it blows me away that you are my child. I have adopted you, and you belong to me, and I'm so excited. And I want to give you peace. You already have peace with me. And by the working of the Spirit and by the blessing of God and the power of God, you will have peace. Now, if we take this message that God blesses us and keeps us, shines His face upon us, graciously deals with us, loves us so much that He wants, He He really wants to watch us play. He wants to watch us do what we do. I love watching my grandchildren do nothing. Don't you? It's kind of like, well, what's he doing with that rock? What's he doing with that leaf? I have no idea, but he's, he's studying it. And I'm studying him, and I love it. That's kind of the way God is with us. He looks at you, and he goes, I love what you are and who you are. And I can't get enough of watching you. And he also gives us peace, peace with him and peace with one another. Now, if you receive that this afternoon, because it will be afternoon in a minute, I'm sorry to say. And you go out that door filled with those thoughts. The world's going to notice. And you're going to have an internal, eternal, and an internal, eternal, both those words internal, eternal power and presence and joy that is going to empower you as you go forward. And that's what God wants for you every Sunday, every day, really. Because the way this closes, verse 27, so shall they, the priest... Put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, I have a whole other four pages here on the name. I could. I could have 40 pages on the name. There's a list of names of God that you can go to a book or a commentary and find. But all of those qualifications or or characteristics of God that that particular name refers to, the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth is his name. That's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Lord who provides. You You can go on and list all sorts of names of God. They're all encapsulated and summarized in the name, the one name, the singular name of God. And it's that singular name of God and all those attributes that come from the other names that he says, they're yours. In fact, if, if you have your Bible, I, I really do have a lot of verses that go with all this. And, and you know, you've heard me say them without referencing exactly where they are. Um, that was for the sake of time. And Revelation Uh, Chapter 22, which is the description, it's the last chapter of Revelation describing glory and the events that will be ahead for us. In verse 3, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. There will come a day. Right now, anyone who sees his face dies instantly. You know, and basically, no one sees his face. Whatever that is. I and mean, again, this is human language to describe something that is beyond human language but God early on you know, all the way back toward the beginning of the Bible talks about his face looking upon us and blessing us and shining upon us and seeing us and loving us we get to do that in glory we will see his face and his name will be on our on our foreheads on their foreheads and night will be no more they will need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever we will have god's name on us which is already putting on us in number 6 I will put my name upon them. That's a foreshadowing. We go out now carrying the name of God upon us. In revelation and glory, it will be part of our identity. There will be a permanent state of being. couple of quotes. John Stott says, Before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the Spirit... Into the church, the same order must be observed today. Don't go into the world if you don't have God with you. And then John Owen says, we have no power from God unless we live in the persuasion that we have none of our own. In other words, we don't have any power. We can't have any kind of impact on the world or our neighbors, ourselves or our relationships unless we have the power that comes from God. And then the quote again from uh, Robert Rayburn. No worshiper should ever be sent forth to serve in their own strength. Do you see why this is my favorite? Because I, when I say the benediction, which I will do momentarily, Lord willing, you know, things can happen. Good things and bad things can happen. Lord willing, I'll say that benediction. And I will be placing upon you, saying to you as his people, these truths. As he summarized in verse 27, so shall I put my name upon them and bless them. Look forward to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us, for adopting us, for turning your face upon us and loving us. Lord, may we know that that is something that never ends because you are the one who keeps us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.